Well, it is so good to be in the house of the Lord worshiping together. Uh, Let me just say as we begin, uh, on behalf of my family, uh, thank you so much for all the help and the gift cards and the meals. Uh, I feel like I'm going to have to go on an exercise plan after uh, the last week or so of meals, which is a good thing. Uh, But what a blessing Uh, so many of you have been with the cards and just the words of encouragement uh, as we have transitioned our family uh, to this area. But we are just delighted to be able to be here. Uh, Most importantly, just excited to be able to open God's word with you. So if if you have your Bibles with you or your phone or whatever it is you're using, uh, turn to the book of Philippians this morning. As you can tell, even in front of us at the end of our service, we're also going to be taking the Lord's table together. But Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to continue in our series in the book of Philippians, uh, talking about uh, this idea of rejoicing in unity and being side by side for the sake of the gospel. Now, have you ever been in one of those circumstances where you have been discipled by an individual and, uh, and, and they're coaching you, encouraging you, and and, and they're giving you the tools to do the work that, that you know God could potentially use you to do. And then all of a sudden, uh, they turn to you and they say, now you are going to stand in my place and you're going to actually teach. Have you ever had that circumstance happen? And you looked at that person and you probably thought, you're nuts. I know you've invested, but that's not what I was thinking about. I remember the first time my mom... Uh, in a junior church class uh, in, during, a Sunday, during a Sunday morning, took me in, and I grew up uh, being at her feet, being taught the things that were, watching her teach young children, and then her saying that to me, now you're going to teach. I'm like, whoa, mom. Like, this is not what helper means, okay? Uh, helper means I take, you know, I, I let him go to the bathroom and stand outside the door. That's what helper means. Not teacher, But it is at those moments sometimes you feel so inadequate. Well, the text before us, could you imagine being Timothy? Paul being chained in a prison, having traveled with the great apostle Paul, living life with the apostle Paul, learning, and now all of a sudden the apostle Paul is saying to you, Timothy, I want to send you in my stead. I can't go, but you are a faithful representative of all that the gospel stands for. And Timothy was the kind of individual that we are introduced to in our text this morning, where Paul commends him, and he gives us uh, some very unique uh, things that he says about Timothy. And I think it's quite amazing for us to, to really realize, you know, I wonder how Timothy took this. You, you often hear people, as soon as somebody starts encouraging them, they're like, oh, don't say anything about me. Not in public anyway. You imagine Timothy. Like, here I am. Here Timothy is standing in the stead of Paul, the great apostle. Talk about a shadow that was cast and having to say, I'll be that guy. Timothy was known as that guy. Well, this morning... Uh, and in the next couple of sermons, we're going to be introduced to a couple of different faithful servants. And the first one of these faithful servants is Paul's companion, his faithful companion, Timothy. And I think we're going to understand why he was such a delightful person to have standing in Paul's place. Philippians chapter 2, let's follow along with me if you would. Uh, verse number 19, we're going to read through verse number 24. That's our section where we're going to find Timothy. 
verse number 19, it says this. Paul says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How is a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel? How I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come to you also. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer for a moment as we, as we begin to study this text together and ask the Lord to help us see its significance to our lives this morning. Father, we thank you that you brought us together, Lord. You allowed us to worship in song. Lord, we've had so many people serving, and even now, while we are in here, so many faithful servants who are serving our children and discipling them. Lord, as we are in here studying your word, we need your help. Lord, we are inadequate people. Lord, we need the work of the Spirit of God to challenge our souls, to challenge our lives in a way that will help us to become different people. So when people see us, they see you. Lord, that we then would be discipling other faithful individuals as Paul did with Timothy. Lord, help us as we study this text this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we, we understand Timothy. Uh, if you've read the book of Acts to some degree, you understand that Timothy and Luke's uh, account of the book of Acts uh, and Paul's own words, either at the beginning or at the end of most of his epistles, uh, in many occasions he would say, and remember, even in the book of Philippians, he said, Paul and Timothy. He was not some unknown figure in the life of the body. He was not some unknown figure in the life of Philippi. You could only imagine early on in Timothy's life, uh, he got introduced to the apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul started to hear the, the, the life story of Timothy and heard how his mother was a Jew and his father was a Greek. And yet at the feet of his mother and grandmother, here was a young man who has sovereignly and providentially been placed at the right moment where he would come in contact with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, by God's sovereign hand and wisdom, said, I see something in this guy. I see something unique. I see something uh, that, that really could be fostered, and he wanted him on his team. Now, here's one thing that's really, that's really priceless when you think about being a faithful servant. And I want, you to, I want you to consider this this morning. Would you be that kind of person, as, as, as Timothy was with Paul, when you come into a body of believers that you would say, that you're looking around saying, I'm trying to identify people to invest in. And oftentimes, the individualistic culture says, me first, and then if I get around to other people, and if I have time to invest, then maybe I'll try to invest. But see, faithful servants of God, who are exuding the fruits of the Spirit, the life of faith, find people to invest in. I mean, Jesus did it with 12. And I remember one time on a missionary trip that I was in Spain, and one of the missionaries said to me something that was, uh, really stunning. He said, you know, if you could just impact three people in the entirety of your lifetime, that would be pretty remarkable. I mean, Jesus had 12, and Jesus was perfect in the way he could do what he did. But he invested. 
And I would just challenge you this morning, you, if I asked you this question, Christian, who are you investing in? You, it should not take you very long to find a name. And if you don't have a name, aha, here's a ministry opportunity for you to go out and say, you know what, I need to be investing in people. Not only do I want to be in investing in people, but I also need to be invested in. And so you open yourself up in a way where you have these Paul-Timothy-type relationships going on all throughout the body, in the men, in the women, in the young people, and that's what we have. You think about the, uh, the blessing that we get of our youth and, and teens and so many of our college students going out, and guess what's happening right now? Investment. Investment into the next generation, and this kind of investment should be the same investment that goes on in the body. But Paul saw this in Timothy. He takes him under his wing, and he says this in Acts chapter 16. Uh, it says in verses 1 to 4, Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple there was named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and in Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and he circumcised him because of the Jews who were in the, those places for they all knew that his father was a Greek, and they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for the observance of the decisions that had come in Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. I don't know about you, but you always get that picture in your mind of wanting to be on the team, and you don't want to be the last person picked. Have you ever been in that situation? They're picking teams, and you're kind of standing there like, oh, man, here we are. You don't want to be that. But you know what the reality is? Whether you're picked first or picked last, the issue is about whether you're faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether it's first or last. It matters whether you're qualified in the character that you have. And Paul saw that in Timothy. And he said to Timothy, Timothy, why don't you come on my team? I mean, I don't know what this was like for Timothy. Uh, it seems he's like a pretty stellar character of an individual. But if you were saying, well, Paul, what's kind of demanded of me? Well, here's the deal. Last time we got chased out of town, uh, the town before that I got beaten left for dead. Uh, before that I got left down in a bucket, you know, I got let down in a bucket. Uh, you want to come? You know, Timothy's character was not scared off by adversity. See, membership and community is not something you shy away from just because things will be hard. And if you've been a member of a church for a while or, or, or a regular part of uh, you'll realize that being part of a Christian community, it can be challenging. And if you're saying, it's not challenging, it's you that might be the challenge. This is as we're doing this together, and we're living side by side for the sake of the gospel, it is, it is our very character that is being displayed to one another. See, Timothy... Uh, and uh, Timothy was that kind of guy. He wasn't, shy, he wasn't shying away because of adversity, because of challenges, because of potential hardships. And if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I'm new to the area, I'm, I'm new to the chapel, and I'm looking for a church, I'll tell you what, it's not a we're not a perfect church. But we're going to try to faithfully preach and teach the word of God on a regular basis so that you as a Christian can grow in your character and your love for Jesus Christ and that you would be involved in the life of the body. It's not just a lone ranger kind of mentality when you come to the body of Christ. It is together that we do things, not alone.
the more that we can focus on doing things together, the stronger we will be as we, as we share this great and precious truth. Now, as we think about this, let me just move us to our main point of this text. And this is what I really love to carry through as we unfold this text. That godly ambassadors that are filled with the fruits of the Spirit often play a significant role in helping the body of Christ. Okay? Godly ambassadors filled with the fruit of the Spirit. That's what I think we find in Timothy, by the way. These fruits of the Spirit that are, that are displaying themselves in the life of Timothy in such a way that in 1 Thessalonians, in chapter 3, verses 2, Paul could say this, and we sent Timothy, our brother, God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith. Part of being a gospel representative means that you are qualified and continuing to build the character necessary so that when someone says, I have someone in need, they can count on you to be faithful to the gospel and faithful to the application of that very gospel that we all hold so dear. Paul knew, according to this, in, very, in the very first verse, in, in verse 19, he says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. Remember, here's Paul, chained in prison, writing to the Philippian individuals, and yet, this is remarkable to me. Here's a man who says, if I can't go, who can I send? You know, sometimes our mentality is, well, if I can't serve you, well, then I guess you're just going to have to wait. No, see, the reality is in the life of the body, when we do things together, is that people don't have to wait to find the encouragement that they need, and, the, and the, those who are ministering can say, wait a minute, I can't do this, but I have another faithful brother or sister who I can send to you instead. And I would just ask you, Christian, are you available enough to be that brother or sister that when someone calls in need, someone is challenged, that you then can say, I, I want to be that one who is sent. Paul's desire sitting in prison was to have a hope-filled perspective. Epaphroditus drops off this, this letter to Paul, helping him recognize what's going on in the life of, of the Philippian church. And no doubt there were encouraging things there as well. But now Paul is writing back and, and he's saying, I didn't get as good a report as I wanted, but I want to send Timothy to you because it's clear to me that there's more establishing and rooting in your faith that needs to happen. And I know that you know Timothy, and Timothy will help you with that. Now, why do you want to do it, one? I, I imagine that, you know, we, we, I, don't, I don't think that we should imagine Paul sitting in the prison cell uh, every single day, uh, you know, hour after hour, minute by minute, uh, you know, all of a sudden, like, he's got this big smile on his face, like, I'm so happy to be here. Like, don't you think he had some dark times in there? I mean, don't you think at times he struggled with thinking, okay, what do I do here? He certainly was engaged in everything that was going on. He never lost sight of the gospel ministry and people that he could encourage. And yet here he is doing that, but it was hard. See, living a gospel-centered life and living it in, a, in, in the fullest degree is a difficult measure. And yet Paul exemplified this in such a way that Timothy caught on to this. He was taught it and he caught it by example of the life of the Apostle Paul. 
It was so ama- it's so amazing, I think, as we look at these to think about Paul's commendation of Timothy in, in these particular examples of the fruits of the Spirit. And as I look at these, uh, uh, we're going to walk through uh, three fruits of the Spirit that I really think Paul identifies, uses different words to describe them, but in all, in all practical purposes, this is, what is, this is what is happening. If we were to look at Galatians 3, when we say the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, uh, and faithfulness, and he said, against such there is no law. Well, as faithful servants and desiring individuals who desire to be more faithful, guess what we get to model our lives by? The fruits of the Spirit. Do you realize that in a very practical sense, if you said to yourself, well, I just don't know what I should be doing. How can I grow? Do you know one of the most simple things that you can do is grab grab the book of Galatians, go to chapter 3, start in verse 25, get to the fruits of the Spirit, and take them one by one and say, all right, where do I display patience? Oh, there you might want to stop. Okay? Where do I all of a sudden see that I'm loving, that I'm faithful? You will have enough to work with for long periods of time, by the way. And you will never ask yourself, well, I just don't know, see if I have anything to work on. You will find it. But Paul displayed these things in Timothy. And I know as we think about parents wanting that for our children, uh, we took advantage of these particular opportunities. I always thought it was interesting. When our kids were little, we came across these small little books. They were called the Berry Books of Fruit of the Spirit. And my kids are laughing down here at the front because I would always tell them during family devotion time, uh, who gets to pick the berry book of the fruit of the Spirit? And one of them would run in there and pick one of these books, and we would sit down from the time they were little, even before they could even understand what we were reading, and we're reading short books of the fruits of the Spirit to them. These are important in the life of the believer. These are exactly the things that Paul is trying to draw out and, and model and, and help us see in the life of Timothy. And if we can grab hold of these, remember, Paul wanted to send Timothy, but he couldn't do it quickly because he wanted to make sure what was going to happen with him. Paul wasn't sure yet. So Paul is preparing for the future. He's going to send Timothy, but he's pretty quickly going to send Epaphroditus. So you got one phase of sending with Epaphroditus. You'll see that next week. And then with an expected sending of Timothy, as soon as Paul knew what was going to happen. But Paul was still unsure. So who better to send than the guy who was one sold with you? Now, I think this is quite remarkable. The fruit of the Spirit, number one, that I think we find in verse verse, uh, number 20 is this. He says, for I have no one like him who who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. This is kindness. I mean, you would not send a person who is is grumbling and complaining to a congregation who struggles with grumbling and complaining. You're not going to add to the difficulty. You're going to alleviate the challenge by sending someone who didn't grumble and who wasn't in division and who was so doctrinally centered that he could say, but watch the way he holds his faith and his theology with kindness and love. I find that many people who are, who are pursuing a level of kindness and welfare and concern for other people, those people are often overwhelmed with others who want to get with them because they just try to figure out how can I get some help. But they're not going to the grumbler. They're not going to the angry person. They're going to the kind person. 
You know, I wonder, what, I wonder if sometimes in our marriages, as, as you interact over periods of time, and as a mother and a father or a friend, that the more people would get to know you, would they say about you, man, they are kind. They are concerned about the welfare of other people. And they're concerned about my welfare above their own. After 20 years of doing marriage counseling, I can tell you this. That in many cases when there are problems, there is such a lack of absolute kindness and a kind, loving disposition towards mar- in, in, in marriage partners. And then we wonder why all of a sudden we get to the area of communication and we say, why haven't you guys been talking? Because they're mean. And they might both be mean. And who wants to talk to someone like that? They don't open people up, they shut people down. Timothy wasn't that kind of guy. Here's the kind of person that Timothy was. He was this kind of person where all of a sudden when we look at his life, Paul says this about him, I have no one who is like him. I mean, he says, I want, and notice the play on words. It's hard to get them in the, in the, in the English language. Paul says in the very first, in verse 19, he says, I want to be Uh, I want my soul to be cheered up. And then I want to send this one-souled individual so that my soul will be cheered. He's saying, I have no one who is one-minded with me. I have no one who is so concerned, who who is like him among all the people. Now that's to say a lot when you look at Paul's traveling companions, by the way. There was an investment that Timothy saw and, and Paul took interest in him. And, and this is what he says. One who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. I mean, just pause for a moment and think, why add the word genu- genuinely? I mean, here you have a congregation of people, by the way, and this sets us up for understanding this, this next section. People that Paul had discipled, people they have traveled with Paul, People who he is now describing in the first part of Philippians 1 of those who are going out and sharing the gospel in chapter 1, verse 17, uh, some that proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. He's saying there are people that, that recognize the name of Jesus. They're even going about gospel ministry, but they're doing it with the wrong motive. That's not Timothy. He's not that guy. He's a different kind of man. He's a genuine man who for every sense and the Philippian church could say, you know what, you you know him. You know how genuine he is. He's not out for his own interest. He's out for your interest. And how do you know that? He is genuinely concerned for your welfare. Okay, body of Christ, I have been the recipient of your great concern and welfare in the midst of the transition. It is such, it has been the most delightful experience to be the recipient of that kind of grace. Let me ask you, are you doing that for each other? Don't just do it for the new guy in the new family. I love it. You can keep doing it. Okay. But do you do it for each other? Do you find people who are in need? Do you go and try to aid them? That you're genuinely concerned about the welfare of, of, these, of different people in the life of the body so that you can then be sent as a person who's filled with kindness. That's Timothy. A man who was so kind 
Kind people are concerned about other people's welfare. That's the very nature of the character of kindness. We, and I think if, if, you were to, if you were to think about the life and ministry of Jesus, and of course we, anyone during that time period in the first century, uh, you know, if you heard that some miracle working man could take you from being lame to walking again or from blind to seeing, you would get there, you would want to hear this man, but I'll tell you what, if you met him, you would be drawn to him because of his kindness. Here's not a man who is, who is hard, who lived his life in a way that people didn't want to be near him. They wanted to be near him because his kindness was displayed through his miraculous working power so that people could know who he was and be drawn to him in the saving faith of Jesus Christ. Paul knew that that's kind of the heart that Timothy had. There was no one who was one-souled with him, one-minded with him. And if you haven't figured it out by now, Paul is using all of these means to talk about unity and oneness all the time. He's, we need to be one-minded in one spirit, in, in one body, with one soul. Oh, I love friends like this. It's so hard when you have someone who's so one-souled with you, and all of a sudden they're gone. This is what's make, what makes grieving and loss so difficult when all of a sudden there may be so many people even here who have dealt with that partner, that faithful companion who is now gone. Because that one-souled individual who is with you, you now, a huge piece of you is gone. And we experience that in the life of the body on a regular basis. This is why kindness is so important. Don't look at them and say after six months, would you hurry up with that grief thing already? I thought you'd be done. You know, oh, it's, it's just this little time period and a blip and then you kind of go on. No, it's not. It's like learning to live with an amputation. It never simply goes away and kindness recognizes that to say, to come back a year after that, six months after that, and say, how are you doing with the loss of this individual? Because this is not hard. I don't care if it's two years after or three years after. That's still a loss. And the body of Christ as kind servants of the Lord Jesus Christ can display that kind of Christ-likeness. And Timothy was that kind of guy. When there was a hardness and a difficulty and division, Paul knew he could trust in this, this young man to be able to do this. What does it mean? He's concerned. In fact, it's interesting because the idea of concern is just the, the very same word that Jesus used in Matthew chapter 6 when he's talking about anxiety. But you understand that anxiety in the negative or sinful sense is, is, is in a sense panic and fear and all of those things. But there is an anxious or a concern on a positive sense that isn't sin. Where you're not, you're concerned for other people but in a very good way. You're not doing the other thing like, you ought to talk to so-and-so. They're a professional worrier. They'll worry about it for you, and then you don't have to worry about it. No, this is a genuine concern. You know what these people are? They're burden bearers. They're burden bearers in the life of the body. Paul knew how much weight Timothy could hold as a faithful servant. He could bear the burdens of other people, and he could train other people to bear the burdens of other people because he was so concerned about the genuine welfare. That genuine concern, what we call, what, what often leads to anxiety and stress and panic and fear and all of those elements. 
We need to help one another in the body so that we, be, we, can, we can have people who are genuinely concerned, but not to the point where all of a sudden it's like, I don't want to talk to anybody because I got enough things to worry about myself. I don't need your stuff to worry about. And many times, it can be very easy to be so inward focused that we have a hard time bearing the burdens of other people. Jesus was a master and the perfect example, and so was Paul, and therefore Timothy, as his protege, was that kind of example. They could set aside their own personal heartache to bear the heartache and burdens of other people. Christians, are you, are you that kind of kind person? That's what Paul was displaying with Timothy. Here's a guy who's kind, who's genuine, who's worried about the welfare of others, but he doesn't just stop there. He says there's another fruit that is demonstrated here in verse 20, and it's love. He says, for I, he says, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. And verse 21 says, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. What do you think he's trying to connect in our previous passage? Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where he so adamantly says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourself. And then he goes into this, theological display of Jesus' kindness and love and self-sacrifice, he's connecting Paul. Paul is connecting Timothy with the selfless nature of Jesus Christ. And in turn, I would say, what is that? What is a selfless interest? It is love. Love is, genuine love looks at other people as more significant than yourself. Jesus modeled that before people by will, be willing to leave the throne of heaven to come and to be an example of what genuine love looks like. But so often we become people who we look at speaking the truth in love and we're so heavy on the truth that we're so, and we, and we diminish the love side that by the time we get to say something that needs to be said, it's never received well because it's not received out of love. And I, I, I know that we need to be people who are standing strong. But we have to be people who can stand strong with grace. If we're not those kind of people, we'll never be a people to a community who is known by our love. We'll only be known by, oh man, you go there, they will tell you what's up. They will tell you the truth. I want to be known for the truth. I hope you do too. But I hope that you do it in such a way that you are also in tandem known by the grace by which you give truth. Paul knew Timothy would do that. He would say the hard things that need to be said, but he would say them in a way that was obvious, that was helpful, that was directive, and he wouldn't let them off the hook to say, unity has to happen. Well, how can t why, why was Timothy such a perfect example, uh, a good choice for this? Because he was not a, he was not a person who, who sought out his own interest. I mean, think of what he could say in years to come. He's sitting around the fire with a whole bunch of other of his, uh, you know, disciples he's discipling, and they're going off on, oh, yeah, well, I was doing this. And he could just say, like, any of you traveled with Paul? Like, he could shut things down based upon his, his ability to connect with so many people who respected Paul. And yet here's a man who said, I'm not about my interest, I'm not about myself. And in fact, I almost want to imagine Timothy in his humility, knowing that this was a guy who was like this in kindness and love. He would, if he was reading this later on, he'd be like, oh, Paul, why did you have to write this about me? 
He wasn't sitting there saying, flaunting himself before people. This was his genuine character. And when the Proverbs say, let another tongue praise you and not your own lips, that's exactly what Paul was willing to do to validate his friend Timothy, to say, you know him, but more importantly, I know him, and he has been a faithful companion and trusted worker in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the question becomes, even in the text, who are these, own, who are these people who are seeking their own interest? Well, I really think it's these, these individuals in chapter 1. These individuals that Paul knew about, who he was saying they're proclaiming Christ out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. He's saying, there are other people who are sharing Christ, maybe not the way, and yet I'm thankful it's all, it's all being proclaimed, but if I'm going to have to choose between somebody here and Timothy, oh, Timothy's going to win out every time. Because Timothy has a proven understanding of selflessness. And these individuals who seem to be about themselves, you know what, they're, they're, not, they're not up for the task. Now, remind yourself, when you do the work of discipleship, it's, you know, oftentimes it's, it's great to be able to share the, always the really good stories. Like, you go and you help people, you disciple them, and then they love it, and they discipled so-and-so, and then they discipled so-and-so. I love those stories. But do you realize there's so many stories on the other side that sometimes people who say they want discipleship really don't want discipleship, and all of a sudden they want nothing to do with anyone, and all of a sudden they're isolated, and now they leave the faith, or whether they were of the faith in the, in the beginning anyway? Paul experienced companions like that. At the end of 2 Timothy, he talks about people like uh, Dimitri who had loved this present world. You will invest in people's lives who you just honestly believe at the moment. Like, they're faithful. They're going to be this kind of person. And you're going to see some of those people walk away from the faith or really or just display a sense of carnality or you will question, man, were they really a believer anyway? You will have to take the good with the bad and all of those things, but it should never stop you from investing in the lives of people just because you may see that at times it's hard and people don't always respond in all the right way. People always say that to me in some degree over the last number of years. Like, how do you just hear people's problems and, and listen to them all day long? Doesn't that discourage you? Yes, sometimes it can be discouraging because I want them to grow so bad. And, and if they're not doing the things they could be doing that would help them accelerate the growth, it's disheartening. But there are so many other occasions when genuine believers just simply want to grow and you see them all of a sudden move from a turtle pace to start to walking and then occasional moments they have time for a sprint every now and then in their Christian life and they're just continuing to persevere. There is nothing more energizing than watching the people who God allows you to help and care for and minister to. I think when Paul could say, I'm going to send Timothy, I think there was a little like smile on his face when he's like, I know who I'm going to send. Like I'm sitting here chained in a prison cell. I got the guy. And I hope you're that kind of man or woman. I've got just the person that, that, that you've trained, that you've walked through. Why? Because selfless interest is, is an interest of love on behalf of other people. They don't seek themselves. They don't say, well, how many people can I get? How kind of following can I have? How big can my Sunday school class get? Uh, how, how, you know, how important do people view me? No, no, no. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And side by side for the sake of the gospel means 
It means that we're here together no matter where we are. We're, we're fighting the same kind of fight. We're, we're, we're doing the same kind of faithful living. And this kind of fruitful aspect is love. A genuine concern for other people. A concern that Jesus himself laid down when he was the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, untouched by sin in heaven, who is willing to come and die for each and every one of us on the cross so that we could have this incredible model of love. Kindness and love are such a powerful combination. And if you begin to tap into, now if you wonder, you think to yourself, okay, I think I'm kind. I think I'm loving. Maybe you need to take some people who are close to you and ask them. People you trust, people who are kind, people who are gracious, and ask them, am I growing in my kindness? Husbands, wives, what a great conversation over coffee. You don't want to say like, how am I doing with kindness? All right, let's on to the next subject. You really want to know, don't you? You really want to become a kind person, then have help people see some of the things that you have a hard time seeing. It takes humility. It takes an openness and transparency in a marriage and in friendships and in a body of people to say, you know, that just really wasn't kind. Many people as a pastor over the years have come to me and said, and here's what I said. And I would say, like, and you really said it like that? You better believe I did. That's not kind. And, and I'd have to come back to them and say, you know, that, I see the substance of what you're saying, which has some merit. But that all got lost in the inability for you to, to demonstrate kindness and love. And as you develop that, I hope that in, in this body, as we grow together, we will be those selfless individuals who continue to grow in our love for Jesus Christ because we ought to be people who are known not by looking after our own interests but those of Jesus Christ. Which means when somebody is not displaying a life filled with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we don't just let them continue to pursue and walk towards the edge of the cliff and then just sit there and watch it. We go on a rescue mission. We say, what are you doing? How can we help you? What's going on? Tell me your story. We make time for each other so that the interest of Jesus Christ is displayed in the midst of the body. So important. Kindness and love is a powerful combination, but it was not the only two that I believe that were exhibited in the life of the individual Timothy. The last one this morning is the fruit, of, is the fruit number three, which is of faithfulness. You notice here that in, in verse number 22, here's what he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. How is a son and, and with a father? He has served me with me in the gospel. Oh, I love this, this, this idea of proven worth. This idea of character, this idea of language of Timothy has been put to the test. Now, how many of you love to be tested? I mean, like, I remember thinking about it, like one of my kids this other night, like I said something to him and they, they were like, why do I have to, oh, it was a test. I was seeing how you would respond. Dad, that's wicked. We're all going to be tested. We are tested by the Lord Jesus Christ to see whether our lives are marked by the character of Jesus Christ. 
You will be tested, which means you will have to at times suffer because suffering draws out the very things that are in your heart. It is actually through challenges and trials that you get to see yourself more clearly than at any other time period in your life so that you can say, will I be faithful when or if this happens? People often live with, with, with drastic amounts of fear and panic. And all of us have experienced that at one particular time period or another. But see, faithful individuals who continue to pursue, it doesn't mean that it's easy. But what if the, the, the thing of your greatest fear came to reality, but you still had Christ? You will have not lost everything. If he took everything away except for your relationship with him, and one day you would see other believers in heaven, you still have him. You don't have to panic. You don't have to fear. But it's hard not to. It's hard. We need other people in our lives who are faithful as well. If you're not being faithful in areas of your life, how can you train and, and model that to other people? See, he knew Timothy's proven worth because the word that he uses is this idea of something that's evaluated after a test took place and then you look at the result and you go, aha, it's good. It's like a refining process. You know, and it's unfortunate, in our own minds, we, it's challenging for us because the refining process includes suffering. Suffering then becomes the proven element that sees what will become of you. Will you stay faithful no matter what? I mean, think of the world we live in. At every single turn, we've got all kinds of things going on in our culture, economically, politically, socially. We have groups that are, that are, that are championing LGBTQ, all kinds of agendas that are making their way into every facet of our culture. Faithful Christian people will have to end up standing and being uh, standing for the truth in a culture like this. If you're thinking to yourself, oh, I just don't want to have to say hard things, you might want to rethink being a Christian. <laughs> because being a Christian means you're going to be inundated with things that are hard in the culture, but you've got to live with a presentation of Jesus Christ with kindness, love, and faithfulness, no matter what, giving, get, not giving back on anything, but yet it, it displaying your life in a way of kindness and truth. This idea of tested, proven character is not just something that is just individual-minded. It's collective-minded, too. I mean, just not too long ago, as a group of elders, we had asked for various nominations for elders and deacons. And what, is, what are the things that they're saying? Are they qualified? Aren't those tests? These are things. We watch their lives. We look at their lives and we say, when they've been put through these things, what, what, has, what has become of them? And they are tested, proven individuals. Oh, what a, what a blessing to be able to have uh, men to serve alongside of who are faithful, tested individuals who are not going to stray from the path of truth that we get a chance to be able to serve the body and then we continue to do this together as a group and as a whole body together. There's a testing that goes along. I don't know uh, if we, we don't, we certainly don't do this in ministry, like uh, all of a sudden we say, 
well, you don't really want to do any training, uh, so let's take all the people who don't want training to do what we know that we need them to do, and let's put them all in a class and make them do it. We don't do that. We test them, like, are you faithful? Like, don't be surprised in a church and a community of people where you love to minister, and we want everybody to love to minister, but all of a sudden, if you have to be spoken to at some point where you're like, but you're not committing to your responsibility. Like, it's one thing to say yes and mean yes, and there's another thing to say yes and then actually mean no. I always give this example to my kids over the years of the, of the parable that Jesus gave of the two sons, uh, the one who said, hey, I'll go do it, and then never did it, and then the one who said, I'll do it, and then did it with the wrong attitude. And we want to be people who are faithful, which guess what that means? Uh, I'm going to challenge you with this as I challenge myself. You want to be in a place, in a community of people who you can do this together with for a long, 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 long period of time. Because the greater they know you, the more capable they are of helping you see the blind spots that you don't generally see when you first meet someone. Everything's great. They're such a great person. But you get beyond that, this is why marriage problems happen after a little while of living together after you get married. It's because all of a sudden you knew them, but now you know them. And what you thought you knew, you really didn't know. And now that you know it, it kind of bugs you. Like, you do that? You fold things that way? You put things here? Oh, there's other sprays that you use to clean the bathroom other than Windex? Who knew? I mean, I didn't know. All of a sudden, faithfulness in a culture of fast-paced reality, get what I want, when I want, as long as I want, and then I just discard it, stands out in a culture like ours where there's faithful Christians staying together, living life together for long periods of times. There's faithful marriages that are together for long periods of time. No matter what the cost, we have to be that kind of community. I understand sin has ravaged our communities in such a way and in our lives that has made it challenging. And that what we know the ideal to be is what we have to be pursuing after. No matter where you're at, no matter what God's brought you through, you can pursue after a faithfulness to Jesus Christ wherever he's got you in the marriage he has, wherever he has you in the church he has, wherever he has you in the friends that you have. Let faithfulness be a mark of genuine Christian maturity because that's the people that God, that Paul chose to use. He didn't choose these guys who he wasn't sure whether they were really about themselves he chose someone who was so articulated with faith and, and, and truth and love and kindness, and he knew the proven worth. Timothy had traveled with him. He says, how is a son with a father? Oh, how special for Timothy. I mean, Timothy never, I don't believe Timothy grew up with a, with a believing father. And now Paul almost became this, this father figure to him, to him as a father in the faith. Many of you older men here, and you see, uh, you've been saved for generations at this point. And you've watched families grow up, and you've seen people come to faith, and you've loved them. 
connect with these younger men. Take them out for coffee. Take them out for breakfast. Younger men, pursue after some of the older men. Because if you're like me, like you're an older guy, now I'm in that older category, some degree. It takes a little longer to get up. <laughs> so you got to pursue after it. Because we need that kind of interaction. Men and women, old and young, growing together. But let it be said of us at the chapel that we are a people filled with kindness, love, and faithfulness to Jesus Christ, no matter what the cost may be. No matter how hard the culture becomes, no matter what abhorrent things sin continues to ravish our world with, that we would be those kind of people who, like Timothy displayed, had an incredible bond with one another, which is why Paul could say, as a son to a father. I had the chance to work with my dad. Oh, what a, what a great opportunity it was to actually work with my own dad. Now, was it challenging? Yes. I think it was more challenging for him. Uh, but what an opportunity for us as young men and older men, older women, younger women, anywhere in between, we can find ourselves serving one another and serving alongside these. Let us be careful that all of a sudden, that when people come to faith, that all of a sudden we don't rush them into a situation where they're not ready to lead. They've not demonstrated a testing, proven character of their faith. Because Paul, as he ends this section, he says, uh, he says to the Philippian church, he says, I hope, therefore, to send Timothy to you just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Kind, loving, faithful people always tend to have their hope focused upward, saying, by God's grace and by God's will, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to encourage you myself if I can. But in my stead, I will send some of the most faithful companions, trusted, filled with kindness, filled with love, who have been proven, have proven character to you, to aid you in all the challenges that you face in a church. And Paul says, and I hope that I'm going to be able to come and see the fruit of what Timothy, my son in the faith, has now exhorted you to and guided you towards. Chapel, I hope we're a people that can model these kinds of fruits of the Spirit. And as we go on, we've seen faithful servant number one in Timothy, and next week we're going to see another incredible servant, Epaphroditus, who is very unique uh, to the church at Philippi, and you're going to be able to see that as we travel along on this journey. Let's close in prayer uh, today. Father, we thank you for your kindness and love to us. Lord, we know that developing a work of the fruits of the Spirit is very challenging. Lord, it is a work of the Spirit. It is not a work of the flesh. We need one another to continue to grow in this way. We need older men and older women and younger women and younger men. Lord, engaging in each other's lives, a multi-generational community, that is known by kindness and love and faithfulness. Lord, I want to be that kind of person. Help me. Lord, we together as a body want to be those kinds of people. Help us. Lord, help us not to do it for any kind of vain glory or any kind of self-interest, but only that it would bring glory to you and to your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for helping us. In your name we pray. Amen.